tolerance. Much is said about tolerance. It's got to be one of the most common words right now that you can hear. Why can't we just love? Why can't we tolerate one another? Supposedly, I'm supposed to tolerate food allergies every time I let someone come to my house. There's got to be something safe that you can eat when you come. I've got to tolerate safe space when I'm in the workplace. Personal styles, whether that would be clothing or tattoos or piercings or hair color. I've got to tolerate people's parenting styles. Their holiday styles, whether they're going to celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, or just happy holidays. Kwanzaa, we have to tolerate political positions, historical evaluations, religious views, people's moral preferences, their medical decisions, their sexual choices. I got I to gotta tolerate people's trigger words and make sure I don't use them and now preferred pronouns. I'm just supposed to walk around, you're supposed to walk around, everyone's just supposed to walk around tolerating one another. What does tolerance mean? Well, there's the classic definition and then there's the modern definition, the proper definition and then the perverted. Let's look at the classical definition before you. Tolerance is, you see, if we didn't have different views, we wouldn't have to tolerate each other. But tolerance is encountering someone's different position, passions, or practices. And whether agreeing or disagreeing, how do we respond? Granting that individual freedom, respect, and peaceful coexistence. That sounds good, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like the country that we were raised in. This is the land of the free, the home of the brave, it's supported by the doctrine of free will. God didn't force the will of Adam and Eve. He doesn't force your will. Oh, he works on your will, but he doesn't force it. He allows men to make choices. This is built on the doctrine of freedom of religion, that the state can't tell you who you have to worship. You get to choose your God of choice and follow the morality of that God. This is based on the pillar of freedom of speech, that not only are you allowed to believe and hold, but you're allowed to go around and tell other people what you believe that you think they ought to believe. It's kind of the idea of live and let live, or maybe that biblical mantra, treat others as you would like to be treated. This is the United States of America, as understood by our fathers, our grandfathers, and our forefathers. That's what tolerance means, and I'm a fan. But I'm not a fan of the new perverted definition of tolerance. When you now encounter someone's different position, passion, or practice, and now you make no judgment whatsoever. You don't discern anything right or wrong at that point. Whatever you do, you do not judge. You do not disagree. You must look at what they're saying, and you must affirm them. You must applaud them. And then you must even go further and announce it or advertise it or promote it. And then there's even one final step you must take. You must look at anyone in the room that is not affirming, applauding, and promoting. And it's your job as a tolerant person now to cut the knees out from under that person and cancel them 
and make sure their voice cannot be heard. It sounds like intolerance to me, but that is what tolerance and the cancel culture looks like today. And there are lots of examples, but be careful. Some of you are cancel culture people too. And you're not going to like it when I boldly express how you might cancel someone's views. There's Mike Lindell. He's the man who was the drug addict, came to know Jesus Christ, went back to school, invented my pillow, started his company, was rocking and rolling, doing great, until he said, Mr. Trump is my man. And then when he questioned the legitimacy of some of the practices in the election, there were over 20 national retailers who said, we're no longer going to sell your product. Let's go to the, the left side of the equation. Many of you have read the Harry Potter books. You know who J.K. Rowling is. And once again, she was this feminist. She was a person who was wildly popular. But when she said, Ooh, we need to be careful because as we see these transgender rights being promoted, this is going to kill some of the things that we feminists have fought for. And when she dares state her opinion, which can be seen all across the college landscape today in admissions and also athletics, they called for a ban or a boycott on her books and asked her publishers to withhold paying her her royalties. I could give you the example of Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington. The San Francisco school board doesn't quite like them right now. And so these forefathers of ours are having their names removed from high schools and middle schools and elementary schools in San Francisco and many other places as well. Joe Rogan, anybody listen to his podcast? Kind of this shock jock. And the reason we kind of like him, though, is you don't know quite where he's going, but this you know. He will ask the questions and state whatever he thinks, regardless of the peer pressure, which once again was all cool. We were rocking and rolling until he questioned the COVID vaccine. And at that point, people turned him off and they petitioned Spotify to cancel his platform. Recently, they focused on Tony Dungy. I mean, this guy should be like the poster child of success. In this day and age where Black Lives Matter, what we see is that he is the first African-American coach to win an NFL uh, Super Bowl. We see that he, his reputation is spotless. There's a long line of men who say, I am still here today because he mentored me. He's one of the favorite commentators in, on NBC for the NFL, and all's good until he publicly stated his views on marriage, sex, and abortion, or life. And when he stated his views and dare go march for life in Washington, all of a sudden it's okay for Omar to state what she wants to, or AOC to state what she wants to, but now Tony Junji needs to put in be put in time out and have his credentials revoked. And then there's some who want to cut the knees out from under friends. Friends like uh, Tim Keller, Al Mohler, David Platt, John Piper. Now, these men may have political postures that are different from you. They may have political postures that are different from me. They may appreciate uh, a, a bigger government than you think is best. 
Um, they may really think that there are still ethnic difficulties in the land and that there's social justice that needs to happen. But these are your brothers in Christ who have been targeted for the faith, have to walk around with bodyguards, some of them, for assassination plots. They have led people from legalism to the cross. They have written some of the greatest books in my life. They are my brothers in the faith. Probably wrong, but they are not enemies in the church. But how quick we are to look at people, and if we're on this side, we say, oh, they're woke. If we're on this side, we say, they don't care. If we're on this side, we say, they're so progressive. If we're on this side, we say, they're so racist. And all we do is what? Label, tag, use these big words that if you call someone a socialist, regardless of whether they're a capitalist and don't believe in socialism, but if you call them a socialist, or if someone from the PCA were to call me now a, a, a liberal, all of a sudden, what does that do? With one word, you're trying to discount the conversation, push them over to the side, and label them so you don't have to deal with anything they say anymore. So this tolerance or this cancel culture thing is a something that we see, but it really is now targeted at believers. And it always has been. Oh, Lot was really cool until he sat in the gates and opened his mouth and defended the guests that were there. And then they said, what is this you're doing? You don't get to speak like this to us. John the Baptist, just this eccentric prophet until he spoke on sex and morality. Ultimately, he was imprisoned and decapitated. We have people that were healed, people that were raised from the grave, who all they did was say it was Jesus who did it. And the Pharisees said, you better shut up. And then there's Jesus Christ. Incredibly popular, well-loved, until he started speaking against the establishment. He refused to allow people's thoughts to go without judgment or discernment or their passions or their practices. And ultimately, the Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, and all those who just followed along saw him mocked, slandered, and crucified. Jesus was canceled, not because he started a revolution, but because he dared believe and proclaim what he believed. So this is our reality. This is our land. This is our now. This is our day. And this is our mission field. So what are we going to do? It should just be a real quick sermon, and I should end it right now. Be like Jesus. That's all. Stand tall like uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Be like Esther. Just, you give it all for the king and his kingdom. You risk your life. Be like Paul, who was bold. But it's not always that easy. But I would like to be like Paul. I would like to be like Peter and John that we read about. I would like to be a person of affectionate courage. Look at the screen behind me, please, and let's read this one simple sentence from 2 Corinthians 5 together. Would you read with me? Let's read aloud. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
You've never heard me preach on one sentence. I can preach for an hour on one sentence. Trust me. So don't relax yet. Please, can we read it one more time? This really grabbed me. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade others. That's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to be a people characterized by the fear of the Lord. We know the creator. We know the lawgiver. We know the assessor. We know the judge. We know we be in trouble. We tremble with terror and an awful fear. We then know the Savior. We know the substitute. We know what He's done for us. We know how He's adopted us. We know who we are. We know we can't ever be separated from Him. We therefore now have a different kind of reverence and a tremendous, awesome fear of God. He is the the most incredible being on the planet, and He's my friend. I'm betrothed to Him. He's my Savior. And so now we're just filled with this allegiance. We're filled with affection. We want to make much of Jesus. Or as the song goes, we glory in our Redeemer. We pray, Holy Spirit, fall fresh on me and fruit me with love and faithfulness. Help me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, can I do it for your glory, Lord? And it's just this affection that's growing as you're now growing in the fear of the Lord. And now this affection that we have towards God, we pray that every day His name may be hallowed more and more on this planet as it's being done in His kingdom. We also find ourselves with crazy love for our neighbors because the one we love loves them. And so now we have this affection that we have causes us to look at ourselves more, look at Him most, look at our neighbors with love. And now instead of us needing from them, they need us to love them. This is what's supposed to happen as we are filled with affection and then courage. We go forth on mission. This is what it means for Jesus to say, this is my kingdom. Now I send you forth as my emissaries to go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel or to teach and to make disciples or to be my witnesses or to throw out seed or to be salt or to be light or to be fishers of men. This is what we do. And how do we do it? If we only do it with words, and I'm aware that in one of your upstate focus meetings, this is a matter of discussion. Do we need to attach words to actions? And I will say, you must. For if you only show actions, you're no better than your Jehovah's Witness or Mormon neighbors, or even the happy atheist or skeptic who just knows how to show love. Isn't that nice? But we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, and we do it with the gospel because never are we satisfied by just meeting temporal needs without meeting their truest need, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we use words. We speak with grace and truth. We will not be silenced. We speak the truth in love or knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade others. So maybe I should stop the sermon now. We are encouraged to shut up and sit in the corner by the cancel culture. 
But now we know that Jesus and other saints and people like Paul say, nope, not going to do it, so therefore do better, people. There's a problem. We all have human desires within that are at odds with our Heavenly Father's plans without. And sometimes these desires within are not quickly met by our Father without, and that causes a problem. What are those desires? We all wish to be tolerated. We do. We all wish to be respected, to be liked and included. We and all the people out there wish to be loved, that someone would accept us as who we are. We all wish to have the basics of food, water, clothes, and shelter, and to be prosperous. Could I keep what I have, and could I pursue the American dream by grabbing some more? That's what we wish. I don't think any of you don't wish for that. I I do think we all do. We wish to maximize pleasure. We wish to be at peace, bypassing slander, threats, fear, anxiety, tension, and harm. We all wish to be applauded by someone or some group in this life. And truthfully, you want it when you die too, that you might leave a legacy behind. And if your name is mentioned, someone might say, well done. And we all wish to feel good about ourselves, to have self-esteem, self-confidence. That's what we wish. Are these wishes or desires wrong? No. God wants a lot of those things, and he gets a lot of those things. It is God who wants respect. It is God who has some degree of likability. People love him. He is prosperous. He has pleasure. He receives applause. We have been singing his name all morning long. And he has self-esteem or confidence. And we have saints. Jesus received a lot of this. And many of us in this room, this this is what we desire. And hasn't God been kind to us? We would be grumpy, ungrateful people not to give him praise that we have these desires and most of them have been met. To God be the glory. We don't deserve it. Those are our desires and they're not wrong and God often gives them to us. But the problem comes when God says, not yet. Or God says, no. Or God says, I'm taking them away from you. Now all of a sudden, we're not so happy because we have these desires, these wishes, and, and it was cool to, to walk with Jesus hand in hand in the garden as long as he was the magic genie giving us the prosperity that we desire. But when God starts saying, slow down or no, or I'm taking them from you, What starts happening at that point? The proper response is like Jesus, who wanted pleasure, who who didn't want to necessarily endure the pain of the cross, said, Father, can you not take this cup from me? That's my desire. But nevertheless, my will says, not my will, but yours be done. Your, I have allegiance to you over my desires. That's what we should do, but that's not what we quite often do. Because we have these internal desires and because our God isn't snapping his fingers and doing exactly what we demand, we often place our trust in foolish 
idols. If God won't give it to us, then we better trust people. Because people can meet our desires. People can appreciate us, affirm us, and applaud us. They can include us in their parties and sororities and introduce us to made people who matter in life. They can remember us, memorialize us, and help us accumulate wealth. They can cause us to feel good pleasure-wise on the outside, but they can also cause us to feel good on the inside, which is why there's just this huge rage right now for therapists and psychiatrists and pastors and coaches and mentors. You can even go and download an app right now because if you don't have enough esteem coming from your neighbors and if you're not troubled, if you're not being fulfilled with self-esteem from the inside, then let's go get a professional from the outside who won't give you any advice maybe, but will tell you what you need to hear about how you really matter. And you can pay them money and get their verbal applause and then walk out feeling better about yourself. So in people, we trust. Instead of God, we prioritize people. Instead of God, we actually worship people because they are the ones we can trust to bless us. And in people, we trust. Therefore, in people, we fear. Because the same people who can bless us are the same people who can distress us. They are the little gods. They are the idols now that we set up that can hold back their appreciation, exclude, reject, and ostracize us, slander us, humiliate us, and give us bad press. People can impoverish us, harm us, imprison us, destroy us, and kill us. They can hold back their blessings. They become so important that the last thing we can do is afford to make those gods, little g-gods, unhappy. Therefore, we hush. See where this is going? We have this God we should trust and serve and people we should serve, but instead, we have this God we don't trust. We love ourselves so much, we find our idols, and we can't bear the thought of our idols or gods not giving us that which we have left Him for. And therefore, we put our hands over our mouth. We go and sit in the corner and be quiet until someone tells us it's our turn to speak. Fearing their cancellation, we cancel ourselves. Ouch. That's me. And it's horrible. It comes with hellish consequences. Some being nice to me, might say, Joe, you're just too nice. That, that's great. Maybe it's a character flaw. It's just, it's just a weakness. It's who God made you. We've called this being a people pleaser, or in middle school or high school language, we call it peer pressure. I read this sentence to you. Along with God, I look at myself and call this faithless, selfishness, hatred, idolatry, it's sin. It's an insult to God. 
It's mutiny before my God. It's disappointing to my Christ, and I think that as I do it with great love, that will never let me go. The Father looks at me like Jesus looked at Peter on the day when he was arrested. He's in the garden. Someone says, aren't you a follower of his? And three times before, a little girl, the guy that was formerly the man throwing the sword around, goes, no, I swear no, almost like an expletive no. I don't even know the man before a little girl. Why? Wasn't so much the little girl, but he couldn't trust his God right then. And he knew that the Romans and the Jews over there, they're the gods that have the ability to make my life a living hell. I know what the sword looks like. I know what the cat of nine tails looks like. I've seen people on the cross before and I'm not willing to speak truth to power because of what it might do to me. So Peter canceled himself because it was too painful to state the truth. So not only is our canceling of ourselves hellish because it's offensive to God, we actually harm ourselves. We give people too much power. You actually end up trusting other people, serving those other people, bowing down to those other people, worshiping those other people, worried about what they may say, worried about what they think. You may change your posture and everything you do, just worried about what they may think. I was having a conversation with a friend this week who was actually talking about he's in this big truck and he pulled up to back into his space, but here was this little woman in a, in a, in a car that he'd never met before and may never ever see again, just looking at him with her headlights shining right at him in the morning. He said, quickly, I just backed in and that explained why his parking job wasn't stellar. Or Ed Welch in his book talks about the fact that if you're like me and an 80s song comes on, you start rocking in the car. I mean, we're just going at it. Air guitar, drums, I am Bon Jovi. And so here we are, whoa, we're halfway there. And you look over and this person is just looking at you. I don't know the person, I'll never see them again. You're just hushed into silence. Well, this is how some of us live our life. We're always like a politician putting our finger up in the air, trying to find the wind, taking the latest poll, and we can't even remember what we've said or what we believe because we've changed and morphed so much. We're like a puppet on the end of the strings, and when our masters move their hands, we jump. We continually are wearing masks. We don't even know who we are anymore, and it absolutely wears us out trying to figure out who are we supposed to be with these people. We harm ourselves as we are mastered by those who can give us what we desire. We find ourselves always saying yes. You know why? Because you can't say no, because you can't take the, even a momentary position that you might offend or, or bother someone. So you always have to be a yes man. We're basket cases, uncertain, unsteady, and miserable. But here's where I want to go. Not only do we disappoint our God and harm ourselves, of what use are we to our family, our church, and our neighbors? Morphing and canceling ourselves, we harm our family. We just somehow want to keep our kids liking us so much so that we are desperate to keep them liking us that we can't even address their sin. 
or in the church. We want to keep everything happy so we don't dare confront false teaching. We got to keep everybody liking us so we don't dare confess our sins and let people know about the struggles that we're really having. We don't address one another's sins or engage in church discipline because we're scared of messing up the feng shui, shua, whatever that's called. We don't use our spiritual gifts. We're scared to to get out there and try things because people may laugh at us or we may fail. We don't love everyone equally as Peter showed us in Galatians when other people may not like those people, so I'm not supposed to like those people because if I like those people, those people might not like me liking those people. And we lead wrongly as elders like Aaron did with the golden calf, trying just to keep everybody popular and happy, kind of keep up a popular opinion and keep everybody happy instead of doing that which is right. And then how good are we to our neighbors? Morphing and canceling ourselves. We do not share the gospel. They die and go to hell. We do not share the truth. They walk around in folly. We do not disciple them. They live as addicts for the rest of their life. We do not defend the mistreated. They remain harmed. And we have already harmed our children and our grandchildren by our sitting back and not speaking in the public sector. And there's more harm to come if we cancel ourselves. We're supposed to love even our enemies. But we don't have enough love for Christ or for them to tell them the truth. But we have a gospel cure. And this is where we end. Christ on earth. Jesus Christ had an incredible love for the Father and an incredible love for his neighbors. And Jesus Christ was called the Word the word of truth, the Logos. Jesus Christ was perfect in his allegiance, perfect in his courage, and perfect in his presentation. He did not self-cancel. His testimony was this in Matthew 22. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and that you do not care about anyone's opinion. Christ did not sin by speaking improperly a sin of commission, but neither did he sin by sins of omission, by not speaking forth the truth. He was the perfectly righteous man for me and for you. Then we have Christ on the cross. He was treated as one who does not love God. He was treated as one who does not love his brothers. He was treated as one faithless, harmful, a coward. As a people-pleasing idolater, he was killed on the cross. He was treated as an unrighteous coward for me, and for you. Then we have Christ on the throne. The third day he rose from the grave, he went to heaven, and he didn't stop working. Before the Father, he's the propitiator. He's the one who, when the Father gets angry at sin, he keeps saying, I know you can be angry at sin, but don't get angry at those sinners. Remember these, Father? We, you sent me, and I died to make them whole. They are blameless. And the father says, I agree, son. And there he intercedes and he prays for us. 
And from there, he sends the Holy Spirit. And that's why I love that Acts passage. And all of a sudden, people like Peter and John, who are cowards, hiding, shutting up, canceling themselves, are found as bold witnesses before their enemies, speaking forth truth, and thousands are coming to the faith. That's what Christ wants us to do. He is still on the throne, and right now, Christ is calling us to fear the Lord. Consider how much He loves us. Consider how powerful He is. Consider how true and wise He is, and consider His future. And Christ is encouraging us to have courage at home, to stand for truth, to speak truth, to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to speak the Lord. This is the place of truth. And he's looking at us as a church, and he's saying the same thing first to me. Joe, get over your self-worship. Stand tall. Be bold. Be courageous. Have no fear. You deliver my words. If they repent, great. If they kill you, great. Who do you love? Who do you trust? Who's your God? He's looking at the elders and he's saying the same thing. Men, you do not exist to keep the people happy. You exist to kill yourselves loving them, which means you don't get to be a board of directors, but you got to be shepherds in their lives, speaking truth into them, guarding the words that are being preached and taught. This is your duty as shepherds. And he's looking at you now, people. He's saying, I have called you to confess your sins one to another, to admonish one another, exhort one another. This is not a little concert where you come and you get to watch, listen, and go home. This is a family that you're a part of and you have responsibilities. So therefore, you've got to open your heart and tell people about your sins so that other people can hear your sins and help confess your sins with you and pray for forgiveness. We need more testimonies. Someone who's willing to say, I'm a dog. I have sinned greatly against my children. And now I want to tell you what Jesus Christ has done for me, which allows there to be more transparency and vulnerability. And all of us together have to go out after one another and counsel, confront, admonish in love, oh, gracefully, truthfully. But this is what we do. And then, May God help us not cancel ourselves in culture, but be evangelistic. We have good news. There's a story to tell to the nations. The only hope they have is in the word coming through you out of your mouth with your posts. Satan would have you be scared of people and cancel yourself. Christ would have you be Martin Luther-like. Christ would have you be like Esther, like Paul. Christ would not have you run around like the emperor with no clothes, and all the people are looking, going, he's naked, he's naked. Shh, don't tell anybody. We don't want to offend the king. Christ would have us love him and the king so much that we're finally like that little boy who says, uh, Sir, you have no clothes. God has given us a tongue. 
We can use it for great evil by using it wrongly. We can use it for great evil by not using it rightly. Or we can worship God and stand on and speak out truth. We can be tolerant while we do it, even while we're intolerated by the world.